you've been looking for a podcast to help you transform your physical and mental one that'll shoot you straight between the eyes with truth and no bs helping you have the right mindset to accomplish things the iron will and fortitude to follow through with what you say you're going to do no excuses Mark owns martial arts schools, and after 30 years, he has some real insight for real talk, real life, real conversations, motivational, fitness, self-defense, weight loss, live from the Great 1-8. This is Real Talk with Mark Cox. There we go. We are live. Good morning. How you doing today? Great, Mark. How you doing? Good, good, good. I'm real good, real good. We're excited about this uh, particular podcast. This is a good. Uh, this is going to be a good intro to Valentine's Day. Today is Valentine's Day, and we are going to. I can't think of a better time, right? Valentine's Day about your love for life, based on what happened to you in life. That uh, mm-hmm. we we do a, a Valentine's Day. Uh, podcast and and talk about yourself okay so i'm talking to rich rich is from uh we met through robbie at at uh, the ventura krav maga we've got to know each other through uh krav maga school and i got to watch you test privately a little bit and so i just want to have you give a second introduce yourself and uh you know where you live and we'll get we'll get right into the meat and potatoes of, of today's podcast okay sounds great yep rich haggerty i uh live in ventura california um father of two girls uh they're grown daughters and i have a grandson who's eight and um i'm a pretty active guy and we're going to talk about how i wasn't an active guy you do some pretty severe stuff and then how um just how i kind of dug out of the hole and um, i love travel and i love being active you, so, uh, so you have a couple daughters, huh? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And you have, so you have a grandson. So what's it like being a grandpa? I haven't, you know, I've got married kids too, but I haven't, I haven't hit the grandpa status just yet. It, it's pretty cool. Um, he lives in Dallas with my oldest daughter and, um, uh, both my kids are in Texas cause that's where I came from before I moved to California and I'm actually teaching him crop. So when I was there over Thanksgiving, I, I brought him some some gloves and uh, and Robert helped me like oh, get him this, get him that, and uh, so we're trying to do some virtual stuff uh, with him. So it's it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's so, fun. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, so I want to let's 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 we have an hour together, so I want to dive right into what we have you here for, okay? And uh, you know, let's talk about June nineteenth june of 2019 and and why don't we get this backstory of what happened in june of 2019 and then we'll get right into some meat and potatoes of these questions okay yep so june 2019 at this point i'm a really active person like i surf ski do do all kinds of stuff so a buddy of mine and i we we brought our bikes to the top of the the pretty much the highest peak here in ventura which is about five thousand feet up we ended up carrying our bikes up to this peak and then we we're going to take the fire road down uh, mountain bikes. So we ended up literally carrying our bikes through this brush for like five hours. So we get up the top and then the fog was really coming in and that's an important aspect to think of, but the fog's really filling up the valley. And so we went down to our bikes and we're just going to take this fire road down. And as we're rolling down the fire roads, my buddy Dave's in front of me. As we're going down this fire road, not doing anything crazy, um, I saw this brush on the left, not not hauling butt or anything like that, just rolling down a fire road, and I saw this brush on the left, and I said, okay, my leg will just brush against that. Well, as I come up to that brush, that brush was covering a big hole, and it was too late. Mm. And so what happened was I knew I knew instantly, like, there's, there's no there's no avoiding, right? If I had hit and just went over the handlebars, that would have been a really good thing. 
but the way the road was angled, the fire road, and again, we're up at a peak that it's kind of like this, like I was coming down, I hit the hole and all the energy exploded upward. So I didn't just dead stop and go over. And so now I'm up in the air and what's strange is everything blacked out. Like there's no sky, there's no sign, there's no, and it's my, my sympathetic nervous system just went into survival mode. And then at the last second, I could feel my head pulling me down. It felt like literally somebody was yanking me down to the ground. And, and I had that feeling from surfing, you know, when you wipe on stuff, you know, when you're going down head first. At that second, I realized I was coming directly down on my head and my feet were above my body. So I did this quick chin tuck. And as I did that quint chin tuck, I just corkscrewed into the ground. Is it didn't roll, didn't it just boom, stuck. So I came down on my head and um, I did at the time, I didn't think I was knocked out. As I look back and think of things, I definitely got knocked out temporarily. And I always knew my legs didn't work. Just, just like this was extreme. So what happened was at that point, I had extreme pain burning down the whole left side of my body. It literally felt like somebody had an electrical plug in there. And I had an emergency whistle and blowing that to get my buddy who was ahead of me. And I'm on the ground and I'm just like, I know this is like pretty bad. And he came back and found me. And what happened from there is pretty miraculous. Like I say, I'm lucky to be alive. Like, so, so picture this and then we can get on to the rest. But so picture um, all the miracles I call them to survive. So knowing I was coming down on my head, that was huge because that allowed me to do the chin tuck. I don't do the chin tuck instant death, instant. My buddy backtracked to find me. Some people don't backtrack. Like, hey, see at the bottom. He, 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 we had this protocol, like we don't leave each other, right? Mm-hmm. He came back and found me. I crashed under, we had no cell signal the entire day because we're up in the mountains in the backside of Ventura. I crashed right near the only cell tower in the entire region. And so he had to walk down probably 50 yards from where I was to get a signal. Um, and so he called 911 and they told me, you know, tell him not to move and all that stuff. They actually, here's an interesting thing. They had him turn the GPS on my phone to give them the coordinates. Cause yeah, we're up on a mountain somewhere in, you know, Ventura. We didn't know the exact peak and stuff like that. Ah, uh, yes. So mm-hmm. They said, read the coordinates. So I'm on my back. He's, he's like kind of 40, 50 yards away and he's yelling into the phone he had on speakerphone. So I can hear all this dialogue between him and then I'm just, he stabilized me. He just had me laying with like my camelback behind my head. And they said, okay, we, we, they read the coordinates back to him. He says, yes, that's correct. And they said, okay, we're on our way. And I was like, okay, that's, that's a really good thing. But then the fog was rolling in and the fog's creeping up the mountain. So the, the helicopter showed up. They had to land on the mountain because I, I went and met the helicopter crew several times after, and they said they had 10 minutes to get me out. That's it because of the fog. They can't land. They can't hoist. Too much fog. They got to get out of there. So they landed. The, the, the paramedic or flight nurse, whoever it was, they came up, completely stabilized my neck. They did all the triage testing, all that other stuff, um, gave me an IV right away. And then they had to carry me on the backboard down to the helicopters about 100 yards away. And they stabilized my spine, thank God. And when that happened, like I was just kind of out of it. You know, I was a, I was awake, but I, I was obviously traumatized and in shock. If all those things don't happen, I die. Like every single one of them has to happen. And all that happened in one hour. And it had to happen sequentially. Mm. I'm very so that's that's kind of what happened. So what happened was they threw me in the helicopter and they told my buddy Dave, they're like, look, we, ha- we have no room for you. So he's got to get on 11 miles alone on a mountain bike that his buddy just got flown out. I can't walk. Wow. So they, they couldn't bring him with, with, and nope. took you one hour. Yeah, it's pretty, uh, it's, well, and we're talking about L.A. Fire. Is that who came? L.A. Ventura. Fire Rescue? Ventura. Ventura. Ventura, Ventura Sheriff Air Air Squad. Mm. 
these guys are, uh, you know, some of the best trained guys around, man. So, yep. yep. And, you know, and they had a, they, I found out later they had a ground team kind of starting to stage a ground team in case a helicopter couldn't get me because of the fog. That would have been hours to get to me. I would have just died. Like I literally would have just died. So you knew, though, I heard one thing that you said in there that you knew instantly when you were laying there that your legs were not really working properly. Is that right? Yeah, I I tried sitting up because I'm on my back. I tried sitting up and then the pain would increase. And I never once thought like, okay, stand up. Never. Just like my brain overrode that and said that will never happen. Um, Then the burning pain on the left side, like when you feel like you have a, a lightning rod going down your whole left side mm-hmm. um that's that that was like scary but i was so traumatized and in shock i didn't really know at the time my injuries and then i found out after and it was like even to this day it's really scary all the injuries i had and and what i dodged because it's 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 beyond there, there are no odds mm-hmm. so do you uh do you lay, do you have a, a, like a, like a PTSD sometimes where you lay, do you feel yourself right back at that accident? Are you in that stage? Are you out of that stage? Um, I'm still in that stage, but it's manageable. Um, mm-hmm. like I just recently completed an EMT program at uh, Ventura college. I'm now a licensed EMT. And one of the things we learned in class was neck stabilization, C-spine, putting the neck collar on, putting somebody on a backboard. So when I was in class, and I just finished this in December. When I was in class, I was the like the one that they had to put the neck thing on, you know, the the collar and and strap me down to the board. We we did this in class because you have to sign oh up for the skill. Mm-hmm. So when I did that, I just pictured the helicopter crew and my buddies around and not, and my buddy around me because he had helped carry me to the helicopter. And then when I performed the task the skills task to show that I could do it on my classmates. I only saw myself. Like I never saw their face on the backboard. I just like, whether I was putting somebody on the backboard and, 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 and stabilizing the neck, or I was the one having it happen to in my brain, it was only me. Like I I'm looking at my classmate mm-hmm. and I'm really never saw their face. I only saw a reflection of myself there. Now, how'd that come about that you were the one that was going to be used for that? Well, we all had to do it. So everybody oh, all had, had to do it. So everybody had to be victim. Everybody had to be yes. EMT. Got yeah. it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. Well, so we, we had this. So you had this. This is 2019. So we're in 2022. Um, what was it like before the accident? I was pretty active. I was pretty active. I was, you know, surfing traveling i'm surfing some pretty decent sized waves in tahiti and mexico and i things are good i was rolling along and then um after my injuries and the 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 crazy surgeries i went through i found myself down in la neurological center unable to walk and the doctors don't know if i'm ever going to be able to walk they just don't know so it it was a pretty dramatic change so yeah definitely so they, they, they really never, they, there was no comfort in what they said was going to happen with you. All right. So you, you, cause they were just things. So, um, well, let's ask what, so let's, let's dive into what the injury actually was your physical and mental state at okay. the time. So we're like, I guess what your injuries were, what did they tell you once you were, you could come like this and then what was the mental state and your mind at that time when that happened? Sure. So the injury, so, so your neck is, is seven layers, right? Seven cervical layers. And inside the vertebrae goes your spinal cord. Um, when I crashed, I ruptured all the ligaments in essentially my entire neck, except for the first two layers and my lower back. So from C3 to T2, the ligaments ruptured. So there's nothing holding my neck stable. It's just like a piece of rope at this point. In C6, what happened was when my neck flexed like this, oops, let me go this way. When my neck flexed open, C6 pulled out. And then when it closed back up, six was hanging outside the column with my spinal cord in it. 
And so what they had to do is they had to go through the front of my neck here, surgery, and then they had to go to the back. And from the back of my skull, the base of my skull to the middle of my shoulder blades, they had to basically cut me open, fillet me, and then put in all these rods and screws to hold my neck together because the ligaments were gone. They just ruptured. And then I broke, I broke C5, I broke C6, I broke parts of C7, T1 had a, had a crack in it. And so my best case in this is death. I mean, my worst case is death, death. Probably next best case is I'm a quadriplegic on a ventilator, given where I broke everything. Because C4 is where the nerve goes to hold, to, to activate your diaphragm. Okay. And I, I'm using my arms. And so, so the extreme, the injuries were extreme. The surgery was pretty extreme too. That's, that's where I was. Now I'm in a hospital and I don't even know the extent of my injuries at this time. Mm. I just know I'm in a hospital, I'm traumatized and I can't walk. And my arms barely worked, especially the left. Especially your left, but you had movement. Is this considered a spinal uh, cord injury? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So there's two types. There's a complete where you break it. uh And then you can actually damage it and have paralysis. And I had that to a pretty severe extent. And what the doctors told me was like, we don't know what your outcome will be. Because generally on an impact like this, the person doesn't survive or the outcome's pretty much known you're a quadriplegic on a ventilator. <laughs> That's pretty. That's pretty so, okay. So what, what, so you're there unable to walk hardly to open your arms. Let's, 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 let's talk about what mentally we went through in that, in that process. What was it like to say, Hey, you know, uh, what was it like to lay there and say, uh, I can't walk. Was it accepting or was your mind like, uh, no, I'm going to walk. How did you, how did you handle that? I was kind of neutral on it. Like I didn't know. And I, I told myself, you have to just keep trying. You just have to try to do something. And so I didn't know if I'd be able to walk. I didn't know if I'd be able to walk. Right. I didn't know either way. And they didn't know. And they said with spinal cord injuries, it could take up to six months for like, whatever you're going to get, that's what you get. Right. So things can kind of progressively come back. But I had no clue. And so what I did was I blocked out the you can't walk now. I've just blocked it out. Mm -hmm. And what I focused on is like, what can you do? So I could lay in bed and I could do this. I could squeeze my fist. So I literally just laid in bed and squeezed my fists. I'm like, I I can squeeze my fists so I can squeeze my fists. I'm going to do that. Now, my legs would move a little. But they, they didn't work. That's what was weird. Like, I'm like, okay, they move around a little, but they don't work. And so I didn't know. And then I decided after five days to quit all pain meds. And this is a major, major surgery, extreme pain. And I just stopped the pain meds. And the doctors and the, neuro, the neurosurgeons and the nurses thought I was pretty nuts for doing that. This is, I was in pretty bad shape. But I will say this, once I quit the pain meds, I could actually start to feel the, the extreme pain my body went through and my brain started working better. That was. In, in, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Pain kind of lets us know we're still alive. That's for sure. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I, when I quit the pain meds, I literally laid in bed in tears and I just suffered for two days. And my daughters were there. And what, what I did was I broke the day up into, we had a long talk. I had a meltdown when I was in there. I was in denial that this happened for that one hour. And what I, what we did, was we said, okay, I'm going to break up the day into six hours. I can, I, I just got to make it six hours with the pain. And then I'd reset the clock myself, just, okay, mentally. And then the other agreement my daughters and I had was that I could cry once a day, no more. So it, cause it was, it was really bad. And so that's what I held myself to. And my kids were there to help me. And, and eventually they figured out how to get me walking. Thank God. So that's, yeah, just the mental fortitude here. I'm trying to take that in. Right. Right. And then you got your girls, which I'm sure it's not easy for them to see their dad. 
lane like that, but uh, also giving you strength at the same time. And and having this, uh, taking these little bites one at a time, um, you know, you know, we that's a life lesson in itself. Just to, uh, you know, you don't look at the big picture. You uh, you work these hours by hours, right, seconds by seconds, and that's how change happens. So, you know, I'm a big proponent of that anyway. So that I think that that is just that's that's a powerful. Uh, that's pretty powerful. I need to wrap my head around that a little bit. That that was that, that was something good. You and I will speak about that again yeah, privately. I think once that, I, that's, I, that's I, a, I have to I have to roll that around in my own head for a minute. Yeah, it's like I'm like an achiever, like right. But in this case, I just knew like trying to brush my own teeth in the hospital bed. Like my arms didn't work, and if I moved, it hurt. Like it hurt really bad. Like, like you just start crying because the pain, it's suffering, right? But I, I, I was brushing my teeth like, you know, little three-year-old brushes of the teeth. They just kind of like rubbing their arm around in their face, you know? That's what I was doing. But I was committed. Okay, each day you're going to brush your own teeth. That's a step. And, and, and everything just built on that. And then doing just fist clenches in the bed because that's all I could do. So would you say recovery was a scary thing in your mind or were you anticipating your recovery so you can get, get to work? What did that look like? It was really, really scary. Um, the first six months I was told you can't bend, lift or twist. That's it. You can't bend your body. Don't lift anything more than a gallon of milk, which was impossible. I could, there's no way I'd be able to lift a gallon of milk. Um, and don't twist your body and don't fall. Like if you fall, this can all rupture because it's like just been put together. So when you are told that, you knowing you fall, you may go catastrophic. Like that's a simple mm. thing to do, right? So I had to be really cautious. So I, I started slow walks with a walker. I was with a walker, um, had a neck brace for a while. And every doctor, I have some friends that are PT, and nobody knew what the end game could be. Like, like yeah. To put it in perspective, the first time or second time I went to PT, I asked my physical therapist, who I'm still in contact with today. I had many of them, but the first one, and I said, "What? What can? When can I expect like to kind of be a little bit normal?" She said, "Well, we don't know. I don't know if it was her or this other guy." I said, "What do you mean you don't know?" They said, "Well, people don't walk in here with your injuries the way you did it. They just don't." And I was like, "Whoa, okay." So I had zero forecast in my head of what was possible. The only thing that was forecast in my head was whatever you do today, tomorrow has to be a little bit more. So at first it was 20 steps. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to try to go 40 steps today. And I just started like that. Yeah, I get that. I get that. I understand that mental fortitude that you have. I, I, I remember when my knee was replaced and they told me the same thing. They said that you cannot, if you want to leave the hospital, you got to walk a hundred steps. And I said, okay, well then let's just do that right now. Let's just do the hundred steps right now. And I did it. And I walked down that hallway the day, the, the morning after surgery. And I said, okay, I did the hundred steps. Do I get to go home? And they said, no, because most people don't do the hundred steps in the in the first in the first thing. Yeah. So yeah. I remember laying in bed, not to the extent of your injuries, but the same thing that my life's going to be a little bit different now. And am I going to be able to kick again? Am I going to be able to do this stuff again when I had this this knee replacement? You know, and so I respect that um, that mental fortitude that you had. And well, how did you get yourself, you know, going to start figure out? Okay, this is what my life's going to be when we're able to walk. I mean, is that was that your mindset? You know, I'm this. Yeah. This is where I'm going to go. What's it going to look like? So the, the the initial thing, my very first thing when I went to PT, the physical therapist was like, "Okay, what were your activities before? What do you hope your activities to be after?" And they're really trying to gauge your mental awareness to like what's going on, right? And I explained this the stuff in the beginning of like what I did pre. 
And then I said, I'm good with anything at this point because I'm just happy to be alive. Right. But mm -hmm. then I just wanted to be able to walk and be a quote average person. I want to be able to eventually drive. I want to be able to eventually drive to the edge of the Grand Canyon and look at it. I want to be able to pull up to a beach and maybe walk on a beach. Very, very simple. I just wanted to be functioning. But to get myself going on that, what I had, what I did was I just kept pushing myself in. I've, one of my best friends is an emergency room doctor. His wife is a PT, all the PTs, all my friends. I just started pushing my walker. And I, I don't know why I did that. I, I just needed to kind of keep myself busy, I think, because of the trauma and the shock. I'm still in shock. I, at this point, I didn't, I didn't realize I also had a brain injury. Um, undiagnosed, but definitely had it. Um, speech was different coming out with certain things. And so I just kept pushing the walker and I hooked this little bag on the front of my walker and I put some muscle milk in there and I had my, my phone in case I needed it while I had the neck brace on. So I'm pushing this walker with a neck brace on because the, the walker gave me safety, but it also gave me the ability to go further and see the beach more and see the palm trees and see things like, I'm like, wow, this is like, I'm starting to see the world. And this is a little bit, I don't know why I did this. I just kept going for it with the walker. I used to do Ironman triathlon. So I'm used to kind of just kind of pushing, pushing my body, but I ended up pushing that walker eight miles wearing a neck brace. And it took me over three hours and it was, I'd have to stop, breathe through the pain but I felt really good when I was able to progress and progress and progress. And I was like, you know what? I'm actually starting to see light that I, and at this point I'm starting to see the light that I might have a normal life, just an average, not so active life, but just a normal life. I'd be able to fly to Texas, see my girls, drive a car, hang out with them. And that was it. Nothing active, but just regular, if you will. So what was that? So what was it mentally like? I, I guess I, you know, I'm trying to put myself in that, in that, in that thing, because I guess being told that you're not going to be able to walk. I guess what, what is the feeling like when you were at least pushing the walker? You're, were you like, okay, I got past this stage of them saying, I will not walk. I'm doing this. Yeah, Man, that's a that's a good question. So mentally, I was like, I can do this, and I wasn't trying to prove anything to anybody. Like I'll prove them wrong. There, there was none of that because I'm I'm basically trying to gain my life, right? Mm -hmm. Mentally, I was scared. Half the time, I pushed the walker, I'd stop. The pain, either the pain or the realization that I lived, and I just have tears. I just be walking, just all of a sudden, my eyes would well up. And I didn't know why. Obviously, it's a trauma and stuff like that. And part of it's a trauma of being thankful that I lived, being thankful my arms worked, thankful my legs worked. And so mentally, it was very lonely. Like when the physical therapist, nobody knows what your outcome can be. Like there's no playbook. And then they're like, okay, just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. And then I would meet my physical therapist and say, hey, this is what I did. They're like, okay, we're going to do some more exercises with resistance bands. And after three months, I was able to lift my arm. So like, you know, you have your arm and you just kind of lift it up to your side like this. I can't see it on the camera. But, you know, when you're standing there, just do your arm and raise it up to your side. Right, it, took yes. three, it took three months to get my left arm up. And three months. To, yeah. So so we're going through these events and in, I don't think we have a real perspective on what this is like. Give me this timeline first so I, I can get a better perspective in my mind. Did you, how long were you in the hospital before okay. real PT, before real PT was getting ready to rock and roll? Okay. So I was in the hospital about two weeks in ICU and I was in neurological center, started walking. They got me out a couple days after that. Uh-huh. When I got home and then they're like, look, you can't start PT for a good like six to eight weeks when the neck brace comes off. I'm like, okay. So then six to eight weeks, the neck brace comes off, but they said I could walk with the walker for those six to eight weeks. 
So you're at home right now. Who's helping you at home? Did your daughter stay or? Um, they, yeah, they, my daughters got back to Texas. At first I, I had a girlfriend, the girlfriend, the girl I was dating at the time. I was at her house for a while. Then I transitioned to my, my place, um, my apartment here in Ventura. And fortunately my friend that's a doctor and his wife is a physical therapist live two doors down. So they just uh, come over every day. And so I had a lot of medical advocacy in my, in my pocket for sure. Um, so now I'm just out walking on the promenade here, which is pretty safe overall because I'm right. not worrying about curbs and stuff like that. Um, I just hugged the wall so I didn't get clipped by a bike or something like that. And I could go out there and just walk as much as I wanted with this walker, with the neck brace. And that's what I did. I just trolled around town on my walker. So after surgery, you're in ICU for a couple of weeks and they sent you kind of, kind of home relatively right after that. Is that correct? To yep. start this healing process. Yep. And then it was six weeks yeah. of six, six weeks six, of chill, just walk. Right. Then uh -huh. physical then physical therapy started. And then then I at this point I'm talking to my doctor trying to understand my injuries because I still didn't understand the injuries. And that's when it started sinking in of wow, I really got lucky here. That is so that probably is your mindset as you're going through PT now at this point, right? And, um, how long was that part portion? So we were in the hospital six to eight weeks, this, then PT starts. How long did you have somebody, were they coming to your house is, and working with you? Is that what was happening? Um, if they sent that started in the beginning, but then they realized like, Hey, this guy's really kind of pushing the boundaries on his own to some degree. So like, Nope, you can go to regular PT. So I went to several variations of physical therapy. Um, I have Kaiser for insurance. So I went there and um, Kate, this lady, Katie, is an excellent PT. She's my physical therapist. And then she went and had a baby. So then there's Jared. And um, regular PT gets you regular stuff. And everybody was doing their job. And I was like, I need more. And I'm not at the level I need to be. And there's kind of a cap with basic PT. So then I started going to PT in Studio City. Um, my friends helped me research like advanced PT, especially with neurological spinal injuries and the extent of my, like my entire neck, like still my body didn't really twist. My neck was atrophied. You know, it was getting there, but it's, it, it's a slow process. So I would drive two days a week from after I did the regular PT, which was several times a week. Then I did it every single day at home myself. So how long before you could drive then if you're in the NPT? How long did, did that, that was, allow? That was several months, and I probably shouldn't have been driving so, at the time anyway. You, I'm doing the shoulder <laughs> turn, hoping like, oh, my God. I, hope, right. I, I, was, I, I would find I roads. Was told the, yeah, I was told the same thing, and I was driving the next day, and they were just having they were just having the conniption fit. Yeah, I, I was going to roads that had red lights because that way you don't need to look and go. It's like green. Okay, it's good for me. <laughs> right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and then – then, so I, it was several months. I would just do Uber or people would drive me to PT. And then I started driving. I found the advanced PT after about six months, I'd say, in Studio City, this place called um, Core Conditioning, exceptional. And they have a whole neurological setup there. So I was driving from Ventura to Studio City twice a week. And it's 55 miles each way out of pocket. Because that's what I needed to get where, where I wanted to be. In my entire mm -hmm. physical therapy, it's 14 months. And I did it in the, at the PT centers and at home pretty much every single day. Every day. That's your, that was workout for you. That was work. Okay. Yep. So then... I don't know. I take it as now, I don't know when I, did you go through several PTs or did you have some really good ones? Because, you know, my first few, you know, it was like, listen, you need to push the boundaries a little bit more. You know, I'm not, you know, you know, ride the bike for three minutes or something like that. I'm like, you're going to have to push me a little bit more. Did you have to go through several? Or did you happen to get lucky and get one that was really, I, um, I, I got pushing lucky. you? Yeah, I got, and that's true. It's, it's, it's like finding, you know, a, a good counselor or a good doctor, or you, you got to do your homework. So the first couple I had were good. And then when I showed up and, and when the PT said, Hey, what do you want to work on today? That's when I knew I kind of maxed this place out. 
Then when I went to Studio City, I worked with this lady, Megan Bishop, who's exceptional PT. Um, I knew that was next level. And as soon as I left, like an hour of what she did neurologically for my neck was amazing. I could, I could actually start to turn my neck because before I'd say, turn your neck. And I'd go like that. They're like, no, turn your neck. I'm like, okay. And they're like, but you didn't turn it. I'm like, well, I did. Right. And so she got, <laughs> she got movement in my neck to where I can do that. Whereas before it didn't move. So after one hour, I just drove home in tears. Cause I have, you know, an hour and a half drive back because I knew this was going to get me more than what I had. Again, nobody knows the end game because there is no playbook, but I am like, okay, this is going to help me. So what was the motivation then uh, to get yourself through, especially if, you, if if there was no conclusion on what you're going to be able to do? So how did you how, how did you motivate yourself to continue on? Or is it just inch by inch, life's a cinch, yard by yard, life is hard? It's it's pretty much what you said. It's, um, you know, if you get you, you have to be patient, which I'm not the most patient person in the world. Um, this taught me extreme patience. Um, surfing bigger waves taught me patience. Like if you want to be, if you want to be eager, you might get burned. And I did a few times. Um, this was inch by inch because as long as I improved, I was good. I didn't care. Mm -hmm. As long as I improved, I was good. And I drove to, I, and then, um, when COVID hit, they shut down and she agreed to do video PT with me. So she would demonstrate stuff and we had the shared video thing on, you know, on the, the Apple app. And then I would demonstrate it here and she would like evaluate me. And when we have consults, then that's how I continue the PT. And then as soon as they opened back up, I was right back there. And next thing, what happened was I said, Hey, I want to do that. I said like, like I was performing pretty well. And she said, okay. Um, you said you wanted to have a really active life. She goes, Rich, I think you're there. You can do all this stuff at home. She said, you're there. And I kind of paused, like I finished it. And I went out to my car and I sat there and I just, it's, I don't know how to describe it. It's just this, this shock and belief that you're, you, you, you're done. Like the, the tough stuff, the painful stuff is mostly behind you. And I just had, it's very emotional for me. And I was just so grateful. And then mm -hmm. I was like, okay, so now I can continue doing what she taught me at home. I can advance it. Like I, I was doing one pound weights after eight months, I was lifting a one pound weight. I'm like, okay, now I can go to a three pound weight. Now I'm doing 25s, you know, sometimes 30 when I feel aggressive. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And I just kind of went from there in, I had nothing to lose by not continuing, but I didn't want to, I don't want to be stable and just, Oh, this is good enough. Good enough's never good for me. It's sometimes it is, but when it comes to your entire life, no way I want to, I want to, I want to milk it for all I can. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that that's uh, I mean, the mental fortitude that it takes to, to, to go through that. But then again, when you listen to that, you're a triathlete and, and, and stuff like that. I mean, I don't know. Quit's just not an option. You know what I mean? I just, you know, you, you, if you, and, and you can speak to anybody that's gone through super traumatic things that they overcome, the quit was not an option for them. You know, they just, you know, they hunker down and do what, what needs to be done. And it, it's just that, I don't know if you know this, but you know, Jay Walker, uh, the one in Simi Valley that, that runs my school and see me. This is what he is. He's he's one of these very traumatic PT. Uh, that's what he does during the day, and uh, he'll 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 listen to this this podcast. And and you know he's that kind of PT you'd want. You know the one that's going to push you to you to what you want to do. So um, I didn't know if you know that about Jay or not. No, I didn't. So Jay, if you're so, listening, C three to T two. Yeah, yeah, he'll. He'll, he'll comment back on this. He's probably at work right now, but he will do a replay listen. So, all right. So we got into that, you know, you know, like I told you, man, this hour is going to fly by, right? Mm -hmm. We're at 38 minutes already. And, uh, just listening to the story. And then of course the pandemic happens and you're right in the middle of all this, trying to get this thing healed at the same time as that, you know? So it's just, uh, 
but I will say if you had to drive, it was much nicer to drive through the pandemic on yeah. the freeway than it was now. It, I can tell you that there was no traffic. And thankfully I That's bought really a lot good. of my, I bought a lot of the equipment I needed at home. Uh-huh. I bought it before the pandemic when you couldn't get the stuff, right? Like resistance <laughs> bands and, and TRX right. straps. And so I, yeah. I had kind of a home setup, but I will say at one point I did PT at home 60 days in a row for two hours. And the two hours was trying to lift your arm, try to mm-hmm. do a resistance band like this just a little bit. It wasn't heavy duty stuff, but for me it was. But for you, like, that was heavy duty, right? That was so heavy it duty. Is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, I, and I, the other thing is driving. So how did, how did mentally, did you drive not worrying about getting in an accident? I, I just skipped that. I just mentally just let that fly over my head. I was like, you just okay. didn't eat. Yeah. That just wasn't a thought process. I can't oh, control good. that. I can't control that whatsoever. And if I get in an accident, I made sure the headrest was up high enough. So you get less of a, a head, uh, a head, head thing. Snap. Yeah. But I just like, if somebody, somebody creams you at this point, it, whatever. <laughs> okay. Well, let's get into then. Uh, you know, then you decide that you're going to do this martial arts thing. So what prompted you to look into martial arts, uh, uh, given you that the neck is titanium and you are, what would you call normal for your circumstance? Right? Yeah. So I, I had two fears, right? Fear of a fall. Right. And what if some dude were to come up and grab me by the neck? So my neck turns, you can see it's kind of stops here. So I have the, I call it, I don't call it a disability. I'm not disabled. I have a restriction, right? If somebody were to grab me, it'd be really bad for me and I would have a disadvantage. So I was like, okay, I'm going to learn. I talked to my buddy and he used to teach, he used to compete nationally in Taekwondo. And I'm like, I'm going to go and figure out some martial arts that would teach me how to fall. So I just Googled and I called Robert up at, um, at, in Ventura. And I had no idea what Krav Maga was. I didn't know what it was. And I just called him and said, hey, look, I want to learn how to fall properly. And I want to learn how to defend myself with my neck restriction. And he was like, okay, I can help you with that. And, you know, explain some basic things. And then I sent him a picture of my x-ray, which is pretty scary. And I think he was like, hey, hold on. We got to be really, really careful with this (laughs) as we went through it. And he was like kind of scared to do stuff. And I was scared to do stuff, right? So... We did private lessons because that was the safest thing for sure. And I really liked him. You could tell he's a really good human being and he genuinely cared to try to help me. And he modified things to where it would work for my neck and my, my mental state. Right. Cause, and we practice on falls and we practice how we do this. Okay. With your neck, you can kind of do this instead. And it's been really it took away that fear I had of a fall. Like if I trip and fall, I, I have fallen, right? But if I fall, I want it to be less of a fall than before I went into his studio. And I absolutely have that now. So I mentally feel safer because I know I can trip and fall and at least try to react better than, than walking in the studio. Well, you don't, Robbie is probably out of, all the black belts, all the school owners and stuff like that. There's not another one that falls as well as that kid does. So that's one thing that, that, you know, that kid knows how to do, you know, is that, so you were in, and you're right about that. He's a, yeah, he's, he's a genuine guy. So he, I mean, you picked up the right phone and you called the right guy to, to get this going. Right. And so it really wasn't uh, going to class per se. Right. It was going to do private lessons is what you were doing. Correct. Yes, I was going to private lessons and and I and he has on his wall there he has all the belts like tacked up on the wall in the studio. And I said, "Look, I'm not interested in any of that stuff. Like I I I just want to be safer for my existence, right? I want to learn how to fall properly, and if some dude were to come at me and go for my neck, I have to protect that. Because if somebody puts me in a headlock and twists and rips me down, I'll probably be dead." Just I'll just be dead. There's nothing to hold the bones. I mean, the titanium's just gonna rip, and then I'm, that's it. So um, that's why I went. But then he kept feeding me, and he kept feeding me. He's like, "You uh-huh. should get these gloves. You should learn how to punch. You should do this. Here's some defense in case somebody does before they go for your neck." And it just kind of started rolling from there. 
So uh, then, because what you told me um, is he called me about this, right? And then he called me about doing a uh, a private test with you, right? And then, yeah. uh, then you know, we had a conversation. You and I had a conversation, and and of course, we'll, uh, you know, that's the beauty of Krav. Krav is supposed to be around what you can do physically. You know what I mean? What 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 is Krav Maga is this big, like this big uh, martial arts. Your Krav Maga is is this big. I mean, this is true for all martial arts, not just you. It's like, you know, even jujitsu. Jujitsu is this big, big thing of techniques, and your jujitsu is this big. Your Krav Maga is this big, right? And on what you what you can do and what you do well, and that's what you develop, and that's what becomes yours out of it. Okay, so we did this private test together, so I got to be part of that with you, and we did this private test. Robbie came down to be your partner, mm-hmm. and um, you know, so you went from uh, you know, I wasn't interested in all that, and so what pushes you to continue then? After you did a test, what what what's what's pushing you forward now? Um, there's several things. Um, it's interesting how things happen. You know, I go to learn how to fall, and like I love it. You know, um, I keep advancing. It kind of goes back to my my recovery story. Okay, I keep advancing. So I, when 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 I was just training with Robbie, I call it training. I was like, okay, just getting more self defense and more confidence in myself. And then I started looking at the cauldron. I started looking at the curriculum. I was like, you know, I'm fairly close except for some of these things. And like even like the sprawl, I, I was mixing up a sprawl. So this scares, this will scare you and it scares me. I thought the sprawl was you stand up like a totem pole and you just fall forward and catch yourself. <laughs> so I was doing that on a mat. And finally I was like, hey, man, this is too dangerous to me. I can't do it. And he's like, no, 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 don't do that, right? So I was basically doing timber of my whole body and trying to break it, right? He goes, no, 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 don't do that, right? So we modified it. And then he goes, you could actually test. There's like one or two things you you will struggle with because of your neck, but we should give it a shot. So I went up to this. When you guys are doing testing one time, and see me, I went up and I watched and I saw everybody kind of pretty close quarters on the ground, stepping around each other. I was like, there's no way. There's no, it's just too dangerous. Somebody falls and gets a knee on my neck. That's it. Mm-hmm. So I said, you know what? Let's schedule it. And I said, the great thing, and I remember you were there telling people, hey, if your partner's letting you get away with something because the instructor's walking around, don't see it, that you guys still see it, right? So I told Robert, I said, if you're holding a pads, and Mr. Cox is standing there. There's no hiding anything. There's no no deficiency. <laughs> like if if I'm gonna make a mistake of moving my pinky, one of you two is gonna find out. So it's total under the microscope. And I said this needs to be as real as it can. And that's that's what I did. I was super nervous when I went up there too. Um, I wasn't nervous about testing. I was nervous about making sure I performed well for Robert because he's basically putting his name behind it, you know, when we went up there. And since then, I was like, I've got more and more capabilities. And just recently, I've been going to regular classes with other people, which is a really big thing for me. That's that's a major thing. And that's, and I'm sure people in class want to make sure that. You know, we would we would protect all them anyway uh, uh, from that. But you're going to have a class that's going to rally around you and probably be an inspiration to those that, you know, I'd use you all the time. Every time somebody wants to be some lazy ass in class, I can guarantee you uh, I would talk about Rich. And I said, oh, 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 this is hard for you. But, you know, what what has he gone through? You know what I mean? I would use it all the time. And. So, you know, that means, so we're basically, what, are you six months into this now? Six months into training, right? Yeah, about six, about six or seven. And it was funny. I mm-hmm. went the other night and this, this, this girl's there and she's yellow belt as well. And she goes, hi. She goes, I, I go, yeah, I've been training with Robert for a while. And she's like, how come I haven't seen you? <laughs> right. Because <laughs> I've been hiding in the safe morning class and I've been hiding with private lessons. And finally, I feel confident with my skills to 
attend. And then, and then a couple of the, a couple of the guys I met know the story. They don't know the whole story, but they're like, okay, we're going to be careful with Rich's neck. Um, but it's interesting how trauma comes back. So as I was driving a school, I was driving a class last week. It was weird. I just had this realization. You're driving to a normal Krav Maga class. You're just driving there. You're, you're going to be a regular student. So I started getting like, I almost turned around. I walked in the studio and I just gave Robert a hug. And I was like, Hey, thank you for your interest in me for, for helping my life. Because I have safety in my brain now, safety of a fall safety. If somebody comes at me and then that night it was headlocks and stuff like that. And everything was like, okay, everybody do this except for rich. You're going to do this. Everybody do this. And like, when you do the triangle, he goes, rich, he goes, okay, you guys, this is what you're going to practice except for rich. He's pointing at me. I'm like, you don't even need to say it, man, because I am not doing that. But Right. I think that your Krav Maga, Rich, is going to be, you know, I tell everybody when it comes to self-defense uh, for, the, you know, you have stages of self-defense. You have stages of, of complete awareness where you never it, it will never come to you. The attack will never come to you. The next one is it's gone to the next level where now you kind of your heart's beating and it's like they're almost going to put hands on you. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's a defense that needs to happen. The next one is like where something's actually on you, right? Mm-hmm. And then you're defending that. The next is in the worst possible scenario. And a lot of times in class, we train the worst possible scenario where somebody's already led. You need to train in uh, number one and two quadrant where you're mm-hmm. hyper uh, aware. And if somebody steps into that zone, they're going to pay the price before they can touch you. You know, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. And so that, I think that that's, that is a, you know, that's to me, that's, that's probably where you're going to be as far as that goes. So, you know, that's probably what you get out of the coaching and the skills. I'm sure, I'm sure that I, that's not the first time you've heard that, but um, you, you know, they're going to, everybody's going to, the, everybody will be hypersensitive to make sure, you know, I, I, I don't know if I told you the story that my workout partner, his name's Fred Hogg, before he moved to Texas is what he did. He was my workout partner. And, you know, the thing about him is he had numbness in his hand one night. I'm at a it was on a Valentine's Day. As a matter of fact, it was, you know, that's my girlfriend's birthday and stuff. So we were out to dinner with a group of friends celebrating her birthday and we had a doctor there that night, a good friend of mine. That's a, that's a, that's a neural and pain doctor. And Fred was telling him, Hey, my hands always numb. You know what I mean? And he goes, well, that's not good. And when he brought him in, he had to have a neck thing. Like he's, he told him, he goes, if Mr. Cox would have wrenched on you too hard and stuff like that. You, you could have been in paralysis. Yeah. And so I think about this all the time. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I could have put my best, workout partner friend at that time in a wheelchair and um and so we know the sensitivity that goes with it you know and as coaches we want to see the you know as coaches it over time you know we your martial arts has to be what your martial is for you for your for what what it is for you and you know i don't know if you know jean jacques but in jiu-jitsu world jean jacques machado He's got one arm that's kind of deformed, and he is a world champion Brazilian jiu-jitsu uh, practitioner. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's just taken what what he has and put it into, into that world. And so, you know, I'm not surprised. We hear a lot of times that people, you know, are a little bit miffed to testing, but I think, you know, it's a big thing, right? In your mind, you're thinking, how can I do all this stuff? And then as you bite it off one step at a time, you, you make mm-hmm. that you make that choice to do it. Um, so I, I mean, and I, to, I didn't kind of, I didn't, and I totally agree with what you're saying. I like the, the segments of the crowd, you know, I'm, I'm pretty street smart, you know? Um, but what I found was a lot of, a lot of my fear of what I can do in crowd has been eliminated. And I'd say at this point, like I, I, I like actually I have it right here. So like I kind of printed out like the whole testing thing for orange and what I'm right. weak, mm-hmm. what I'm weak at, what I need to practice, some notes. Like I have it pretty dialed in. Um, like I've done. So you think of like a restriction. Okay, so I've done the cauldron, various cauldrons: orange, green, yellow, pretty green. 
I've done them probably nine times out of the last 12 days. Like I have a place I can go do it. And so the groundwork is what I have to work on with Robert. And as I looked at the entire curriculum, probably five things, four to five things we got to be a little bit careful of. Mm-hmm. But the rest, but I also, I also love it, Mark. Uh-huh. I love it. I love the energy of the class. I was like yesterday, I was like, oh, I'm feeling lazy. I don't feel like it. It's hot here. I'm like, you know what? Go to this place. We call it the prison yard, right? So we've got an outdoor area with barbed <laughs> wire fence me. around it. Yeah, you told me about this. Right? So I go to the prison yard and there's, you know, and I'm, I'm in a fenced in area with barbed wire and a lot of the, the, the vagrants are around. They don't mess with that area though. They see what's going on inside there. But I did it and I was drenched with sweat. I was like almost puking. I puke almost every time I do it. And I was like, I feel great. So I really love Krav now. I didn't even know what it was. I went to learn how to fall. Now we're really ramping up to give you a phone call saying, hey, probably several weeks away at least, say, hey, this this guy wants to roll up there again and get put under the microscope. Yeah, I'll be there for it. We'll be ready for you too. We'll we'll you know, we'll we'll keep on we'll keep on trucking for sure. So if you could change things that you didn't have the accident, would you change it? No. And people think I'm a liar when I say that. Like, if I didn't have to change, if I didn't, if I couldn't have the accident, would I pull that off? No. This accident has done way more good than bad. Now, that's easy to say because I'm not a quadriplegic and I'm not a, because that's my best case, right? It's easy to say now, but I suffered a lot. I suffered a lot, but I also learned a lot. And through this story, it's not really me, it's just the story, right? Um, Through this story, I definitely know it has helped people. People have contacted me directly saying, hey, look, I was in this like really bad spot. I listen to some of your podcasts. I watch some of your video stuff. And um, I'm, I'm really happy that you shared your story because it's helped me. So overall, it, it's definitely reset things um, in my life. And it, and it let me know where I was. So. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that any kind of human interest story where somebody uh, beats the odds, it it's uh it's the connection that we all have together that uh man if he can pull through i can pull through if if you know even in my own life i've done the same thing on on certain certain things for myself but watching somebody else go through it and say you know what if they if they can do it i can do it so i think that your story that way is 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 commendable for sure so well listen so we're we're wrapping up on this on an hour already, I want to give you this stage and I want you to, I want you to tell me or tell the audience too on what do you want to see people take away from your story, from what you've done? Let's, let's, let's end with you giving that perspective on what you, what you'd like to see. Yeah. Like why did I, why am I doing this podcast? Why have I done my own podcast and my website and stuff like that? Um, I think we limit ourselves at times and we just need a boost. Like through my whole journey, I needed guides. I needed help. I needed Robert. I needed my physical therapist. I need my buddies. I need my friend that's a doctor. I needed so much help. And knowing that you can't do it all on your own is is big, right? But knowing if you put your mind to it, like I couldn't walk. I could only squeeze my hands. And then I, I did a lot in my recovery. And so if you break it up into small pieces, it's actually doable. And the, the final thing I think of is I went to Krav to learn how to fall and learn how to like quickly defend myself in a bad situation. Um, probably not to the level most people would go to. Um, but I actually found passion in something I love that led to me eventually like this fall taking an EMT class that was actually part of the whole thing. And so if you don't keep testing the waters and don't keep pushing yourself with help, it, you, you may be missing out and you may be cheating yourself. So just don't do that. Just, just kind of grind it out a little bit and don't give up. Well, 
so you you talked about your website. Let's talk about what what's what your website consists of and how can people come and see you, find it. Okay, yeah, thanks for sharing that. So my website is richhasfun.com. And that's a, a lot of the story. So richhasfun.com, that's a lot of the story. And I talk specifically on there about what happened, some news articles. It's more like inspirational stuff. Um, and especially quitting the pain meds. What I did to quit the pain meds is I, I wrote that all out. Um, I've got a YouTube thing, which I'm just getting rolling. Rich has fun. Um, and then the podcast, which I've gotten a lot of really, really good feedback on that is Experience Rich. And there's pictures of my neck and the incidents and my recovery on, on pretty much all of it. But, um, I just want my gift of living to help other people. That's, that's my give back with all this stuff. So I'm just going to throw this out now that I'm sure Robbie's still listening because he's been listening to the, the entire time. So I think your next your next step after Orange Belt testing is to look into what it's going to look like to go through instructor training and uh, become um, this this next level because there are you're going to relate to a lot of people that have either a disabilities or um, they have fear. Right. Uh, you know, I, I've experienced all this stuff and uh, myself uh, with students. And I think that's your your journey to. Uh, I mean, you got the website, right? You have mm -hmm. fun. Yep. See, Robbie just said the saying. I told him that, too. Right. Robbie's already told you this, I guess. huh? I told him that he's going to be able to help so many people. I think that to me, that's your next step. And. I think I asked you if you've written a book, but you said you just haven't had time and that's not something you've done just yet. <laughs> and to put down your legacy, I would encourage you to do that because to put down your legacy for, can you imagine your grandchildren and great grandchildren to know what the, what, what kind of a warrior their, their grandfather was, is going to be, you know, generational, you know? So yeah. I would encourage you to start thinking on those lines and we'll talk about it more on your next orange belt test about what that's going to look like. Um, I think that you're going to get older people that come into class and they're going to be, cause it happens here all the time. And I've got a gentleman here that I have work with him all the time. Older guys. I mean, how old are you now? I'm 56. So you're 56 and traumatic experience and you're in there doing it right i'm i'm just yeah. a little bit older than you so um you know it, just getting people uh, 50 to 60 to continue on to something cuz a lot of them look at crop maga and say you got to be kidding me with this right you know there's just like a intense workouts and stuff like that but crop maga can be for everybody so i think that there's there's room for that. So I would encourage you to, to talk to Robbie about that and, and start looking in that direction and start becoming uh, what that's going to be like. So I think that, you know, we covered this in an hour and um, I think people are going to get a good takeaway from this. I'll have the audio portion of this um, out. I will, I believe if you haven't, Rich, I don't know, did you put all your information when you did the intake form, did you put all your information on Yes. On how to come and see you and stuff in there. Because yes. uh, when I publish this on my website, the audio portion, the audio portion then uh, of the podcast, there's notes and stuff that people can go and, and, and check okay. your, your website out. I'll make sure it has it all on there. But thank you. Um, I think that this has been uh, this has been good, man. This has been an awesome time to spend with you. Definitely. You know, you know, what's your faith like? I'm pretty neutral. I'm mostly Buddhist. I'm like, just uh -huh. be a good, be a good human and give to others. Don't mm -hmm. worry about the rest. Um, yeah. I'm just kind of go there. I grew up Catholic and that, that didn't, didn't work for me. Um, so I just kind of like kind of roll along the Buddhist way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're definitely, you're definitely just a, you know, a generally good guy, but people that go through trauma like this, you know, they have a big respect for life and, uh, and, you know, they take extreme ownership and I think it's hard when you see others don't take uh, an extreme ownership when, uh, when you had to go through what you had to go through, you know what I mean? So yeah. it's been great. Um, I look forward to it. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll be able to see each other 
uh, in a few weeks, I guess. Is that Hopefully, what we're going to yeah. do? We'll see. Yeah. I'll keep, I'll keep hitting it. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see. February, I'm pretty booked, but, you know, maybe in March I can come out there on one of these nights. I'll let you know when I'm coming and I'll hop on the mat out there in Ventura and teach a class. And yeah, it'd be an honor to teach a class that you're in. Thanks. Sound good? Sounds great. And yeah. let me just say this. Hearing you say that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting fairly confident with the orange belt test, but hearing you say I should consider instructor school, like that almost numbed my body to think mm. of where I was. And then this is a consideration. Um, like I just feel beyond blessed in, it just goes to show you, you like for people listening, you step in to do something, you never know what the output is in just, just go try stuff. And, yeah. Um, it's beautiful. I think we'll end on that. I think that's a good, that's a good ending, Rich. It's been, a, it's been a pleasure to, to get to know you a little bit more on online today. And I'll have this audio podcast out by end of day. All right. And you can share awesome. it with it on your platform. Sound good. All right. Great. Thanks a lot, Mark. It's All great right, chat, And thank you everybody for listening. All right. Have a good All day. Right, have a good day. All right. Bye, bye. Rich. You've been listening to Real Talk with Mark Cox. Real life, real topics, real conversation. We're passionate about motivation, fitness, self-defense, weight loss, and coming at it from a real angle. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you had fun. We know we did. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on Instagram and Facebook at MarkCox100. Make sure to subscribe and review. And tell a friend or two about the show. For more, hit up the website at MarkCox.com. Till next time, keep it real.